Hola everybody, good to see you this morning. We're glad that you're joining us again for our, what's becoming a, a, a habit, I guess, our Instagram Sunday morning uh, look at the word. But above all, we thank our Heavenly Father for all He's done for us. Amen? So today we're going to be uh, coming to you out of Matthew, the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 5, and we're going to begin with the fifth verse. I'll just read two verses. We won't be long today, uh, but uh, we'll have a word for the day. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask you to bless those that are tuning in right now, those that will be listening uh, throughout the day as they visit the Instagram later. And we thank you for blessing their families and for blessing them and their their loved ones. And uh, and we worship thee and praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So beginning with the fifth verse, Matthew chapter 25, beginning with the, first, uh, the fifth verse. Uh, Jesus is speaking. It says, while the bridegroom tarried, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and they all slept. And at midnight... There was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Say amen. 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 So, you know, I thought about doing a Father's Day message, but uh, I don't know. I think Mother's Day messages are better. <laughs> <laughs> and it would seem like a little self-serving, right? So, but anyway... <laughs> So this Matthew 25 is, is a prophetic scripture. It's a, it's a prophecy that was given by Jesus Christ um, in Matthew chapter 24. Um, he was asked three questions. And I'll read those to you real quick. Matthew 24. There were three questions that were asked. Jesus has just uh, finished leaving the temple. And he begins to tell them in verse 2 of chapter 24 that every stone at the temple will be thrown down. There won't be any more temple left. And so this kind of freaked the disciples out, right? So in verse 3, he goes to the Mount of Olives and his disciples come to him privately and they ask him, Tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? So they asked him three questions. And if you ever have a chance, you should read it in Matthew uh, 24. He begins to go all the way down uh, from 24 to the end uh, of verse uh, 51. And he lays out the whole plan uh, from him going away uh, until his return. And it's a very powerful uh, revelation that he gives there, where he lays out the signs and the conditions that would transpire over a 2,000-year period, culminating with his return. Um, so when he gets to chapter 25, basically what he's talking about in chapter 25 is he transitions and begins to tell them a story. But hidden within this story are many keys to understanding the times, the seasons, uh, just prior to his return. And, and he draws our attention in Matthew 25 to a class of, of people called the Ten Virgins. And he separates those Ten Virgins uh, into five wise and into five foolish. So when we get to Matthew 25, what we're literally seeing is that Jesus, all throughout Matthew 24, has been answering the three questions I just read. When shall these things be? Which is the tearing down of the temple. What shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? So when he gets to the third question, 
he's basically that's basically what we're seeing here in Matthew 25 is that answer what is the sign of your coming and the end of the world the third question being the end of the age the end of the world not necessarily the end of activity on the planet earth but the end of the age when he will return and so when you read Matthew 25 that's what you're reading you're reading his response to that third question as it deals with the church at the end of the age and so it was in in uh, in his answer uh, to this, he's speaking to a specific generation. He's speaking to a generation at the end of the age, and he begins to reveal things to them, and begins to show them uh, what it is that that they need to be looking for. And one of the things that we want to zoom in on today, like I said, we're not going to be long, is that in verse five he talks about at the end of the age that all of them both the wise and the and the foolish they're going to experience two things in verse 5 he says they're going to slumber and they're going to fall asleep and why that's interesting is because in in, in chapter 25 verse 1 when he begins to tell the story he talks about how all 10 of them set off in anticipation of of of, of his arrival or his return but then there seems to be a, a, an interim there where there's a pause. So they set off and they think he's coming and then he doesn't show up. And he's saying in that in effect that because of that period of delay, what would begin to happen are two things. One, in verse 5 it says they all begin to, to slumber and slept. The word slumber is very interesting because it means... It means to nod off. In other words, they don't fall asleep right away. What happens is they get tired waiting and they kind of nod off and wake up. But what he's trying to reveal there is something very interesting because again, remember, we're talking about, he said, what the conditions would be that would alert us to his second coming. And it would be at the end of the world, at the end of the age, just prior to his return. So in verse 1, it, it talks about them going forth to meet him. And I encourage you to, uh, you know, we do podcasts every day, and, and you can find that on iTunes, or you can go to worldharvestministries.net and find it there. But we do, we're, we're doing a series of very deep and in-depth studies, uh, uh, prophetic studies, and this is what we've been covering over the last three or four days. And so uh, if you want a deeper look at this, you can go there at worldharvestministries.net. Now, back to this. So in verse 1, uh, again, we're talking about the end of the world. Something appears to happen that causes the body of Christ at that time to really, really think that he's about to come back. They set off together, and there's an excitement, there's an anticipation. But then by the time we get to verse 5, they're kind of tired of waiting. They get all enthusiastic, emotionally charged up, and they begin to, to, to doze off as they wait. He's using very symbolic language so that we can understand the kinds of conditions that will that will that will come over that final generation within the church, and what's symbolic about slumbering or nodding off is it has the idea that you know have you ever been sleepy where you're just kind of falling asleep and you, and you wake up? It kind of has this feeling that there'll be events that happen. Everybody gets awake, they think he's coming, and then they kind of start falling asleep until the next event. They're not fully asleep yet, but something else happens and they wake up again. So it has this continual feeling of, I'm awake, 
I'm falling asleep. Oh, I'm awake. I'm falling asleep. And that is kind of how he is trying to relate to us. It would be just prior to his coming. But after so many false starts, so to speak, so many false anticipations of his return, they finally all, both the wise and the foolish, end up just flat out falling asleep. And so why this is interesting to me is because after they reach that point collectively, uh, you know, as a whole, the church, he says something happens in verse 6. He says, at midnight a cry is made. And, and he says, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. So what this literally is beginning to reveal to us is, is while they, when they finally reach that place of being completely asleep, both of them, something happens that bursts onto the scene that suddenly wakes everybody up. It wakes everybody up and, and the Bible says here that, that a cry is made. Now remember, it says midnight, that this cry happens at midnight. And in the Bible, midnight is very symbolic. It all, always portends a prophetic event. For those of you familiar with the Bible, when the children of Israel were about to be released from slavery, the famous you know, Red Sea story and all that, uh, in the book of Exodus, uh, it was at midnight that God uh, had the destroyer come through Egypt. And it's very symbolic because the children of Israel were safe and were about to be set free. And so when, when Jesus uses the term midnight, he's trying to communicate to us and let us know it's going to be very similar. Midnight also represents the darkness that would come upon the face of the earth in the end of time. And while we're sharing this story is because we believe that Matthew 25 is a prophecy for our time. When we talk about verse 1 where it says that there's an initial setting off, there's an initial excitement about his return. If you know your history, you'll know that when we came into the 20th century, something very profound happened. We went from being a, uh, over the last 1900 years of church history, basically coming into the 20th century, and, and for all purposes of, of reflection, there didn't seem to be any kind of real prophetic events taking place. But something happened in the 20th century, right at the beginning, those of you who know your history uh, of the church history, there were two events that were very striking. One was in 1904 in Wales. There was a young man in Wales, England there. Uh, his name was Evan Roberts. And he was a 25-year-old young man, and he began to experience in his meetings great outpourings and manifestations of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was marked by several things. One was the, the baptism or the infilling of the Spirit. And the second thing was, or the first thing really, was a, a complete awareness of one's need to get their life right with God. But this began to be so powerfully manifested there in England that it eventually made its way across the ocean to the United States. And then in 1906, there was an African-American man by the name of William Seymour. He came to a little horse stable in Los Angeles, California and rented the building on Azusa Street. He was a humble man. His pulpit was consisted of two apple crates. He took one and set one on top of the other. 
And it was said, if you go back, you can Google all this and research it, but he used to stick his head in that apple crate and he would not leave. He would just continually pray. And what he was asking God for was to have the same manifestation of the Holy Spirit poured out on this side of the, of the world, just as it had in England. And indeed it came. You can check this out, but so powerful was the move of the Spirit that there are actual accounts in the Los Angeles Times where it was said that, that a visible flame or a fire-like substance could be seen over the building where they were praying and meeting and when the Spirit of God was moving so that even the police and the fire department came to put out the fire. But there was no fire. What they were literally seeing was a manifestation of the Spirit of God, almost as if the same thing that happened in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2. So a major event took place at the turn of the 20th century. A few years after that, we go right into World War I, and coming out of World War I, for the first time in almost 2,000 years, what, what alerted the church of that time that we could possibly have been entering into the last days was that Jerusalem was recaptured. It had been under Muslim control since the middle of, of, of uh, like the mid, what was it, like 1000 AD from there on. For about five, six, seven hundred years, the Muslims controlled the Turks. The Turkish government controlled uh, Jerusalem. But there's a story about a man from England by the name of General Allenby, who as a young man, when he was a little kid, he had read in the promises of the Bible that one of the signs that Jesus would be returning is that the Jewish people would come back to their homeland, that Jerusalem would be recaptured. And as a little child, I've read these accounts, he actually used to pray that he would be the one who would help capture Jerusalem. And all those years later, indeed, God had heard his prayer and he was a general of the British forces that came into Jerusalem and actually recaptured Jerusalem. And for the first time in almost 2,000 years, Jerusalem was taken out of the hands of, of, of Islam and it had been brought into the possession of, of, of the Christian West. It would only be about a year later when that famous declaration would be made, the Balfour Declaration, that for the first time in over 2,000 years, the Jews were going to be allowed to return to Palestine. And so it began the migration of Israel back to her homeland after 2,000 years. It had never happened before like that. It had been 2,000 years since they had been scattered. Remember in AD 70, the Roman government and her forces came down into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Over a million Jewish people were crucified on crosses. And they, they, they said that they ran out of wood making crosses. So steep was the penalty that they paid for rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. For they wanted nothing to do with him. And as a result, when they took him to Pilate during his uh, trial, if you remember your history, they, uh, <clears throat> Pilate asked them, who would you have me release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? And they cried for Barabbas. And they gave the Son of the living God over to the Roman government, and the Roman government indeed crucified him. And, and he said, I am not guilty of this man's blood. And the leadership of the Jews of that time cried out loudly, saying, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And so it was done. And the prophecy that Jesus had given in Matthew 24, verse 2, where he told the disciples 
that as a result of that, the entire temple would be destroyed not many years after that. And indeed it was. Forty years later, when the Romans came down and, and burned the city and tore the temple structure down stone by stone. And from that point on, the prophecies that had been given all the way back in Deuteronomy by Moses, even before they went into the promised land, that they would indeed forsake God and turn their back on him. And as a result, he was going to scatter them to the four corners of the world, which is what he did. They completely lost their identity as a nation state and they became infiltrated in all the, the nations of the world. They became intermingled with them. So the great miracle that alerted the church at the beginning of the 20th century that something profound was happening was when, was when Allenby came into Jerusalem and recaptured Jerusalem and then the Balfour Declaration of 1918. For the first time in 2,000 years, the nations of the world proclaimed, and at that time the great British Empire proclaimed, that, that the Jew could return to what was once his homeland in Palestine. And so the prophecies began to be fulfilled. And for the first time in 2,000 years of the Christian uh, experience or the development of the Christian religion across the world and the West in particular, they became excited because they understood the prophecies. And it's much like what Jesus was revealing. There was going to be an event that would trigger an anticipation. He must be coming. He must be here. And, and, and that's what happened to the early church of the 20th century. The fact that Jerusalem had been recaptured, they immediately anticipated he must be coming. And, and they knew the prophecies. But see, he goes on in verse 5, like we started talking about, saying that something was going to happen and they would begin to slumber and sleep. See, the, the early enthusiasm, the emotion of seeing prophecy fulfilled in their time, 1906, 1918, 1919, it caused them to think Jesus is just going to come in any second now because that prophecy was huge. But it didn't happen. And so their emotion gave way to a reality that maybe we don't have this quite right. And they began to, to nod off as Jesus describes it. Rather than remaining awake, they began to, to lose interest. And since then, we've seen so many events take place where by the time we reach this time, which we believe is our time, Jesus said the church by and large would be asleep. And eh, we've heard all that before. Eh, it's going to be another thousand years before he comes. They have fallen asleep. See, the next great event that happened after that was World War II, which again caused the church to wake up from nodding off. Because coming out of World War II, what they discovered was that Hitler, who, be, who really was kind of a type of the Antichrist, attempted to kill over, and did kill over 6 million Jewish people in an attempt to eradicate them from off the face of the earth. And we don't have time to get into the satanic power behind that and why Satan was trying to do that, other than to say this. One of the tactics of the enemy, the unseen world and the forces of darkness, particularly their chief, which is Satan himself, is to try and get the word of God to be broken, especially the prophetic word of God. If he could have eradicated the Jewish people, he would have erased multiple prophecies concerning the nation, and hence God's word would have been broken, and the universe itself would have been thrown into absolute chaos on a grand scale. But he couldn't do it. 1948, the United Nations voted... For the, because everybody was like, wow, this is a horrible thing that happened to the Jews. We've we got to let them have something. And so what they did in May 12, 1948 was vote. 
that they could have a right to return, and they did. They came back and they established uh, the nation-state of Israel as David Ben-Gurion on high noon at May the 12th declared Israel a state after 2,000 years. And the church woke up again because they knew that's exactly what God said would happen in the prophetic scriptures. He said the day would come when it would no longer be said, the Lord thy God which brought you up out of Egypt. But the day would come when he would say, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which brought up the children of Israel from the four corners of the world where he scattered them. That happened in 1948. And so these kinds of prophetic events that continued to transpire throughout the decades of the 20th century would cause the church to wake up, pay attention, think that Jesus is eminently going to come, only to kind of doze off and fall asleep again. Then another significant event, 1967, the six-day Arab-Israeli war, right? Where for the first time in 2,000 years, not only were they a nation-state now, but they actually captured Jerusalem itself. The, the Jewish people did. And Moshe Dayan, the great general, the guy with the, the patch on his eye, I don't know if you're familiar with your history, he goes to the Temple Mount, and, and uh, there was a, a chief rabbi by the name of Shlomo Gorin. He blows the ram's horn. And he proclaims that the Temple Mount is now in the hands of the Israelis. That again was a, was a prophetic fulfillment. So the church wakes up again. Now they've got Jerusalem. Now they've got their nation. But he didn't come. <laughs> he didn't show up. And so these kinds of events continued to happen through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. Multiple wars trying to drive the Jews into the sea. But then the world began to change. Technology began to change. The evolution of the internet, the, the rise of, of, of the super state, the move towards globalism, all these things began to take shape and, and become a framework for where we are today. And if you remember, those of you who are alive uh, or, or old enough to remember September 11, 2001, as we crossed into the 21st century, by and large, the church had evolved and become nothing more than a, than a prosperity preaching hyper-charismania, crazy signs and wonders kind of thing. No more emphasis on the prophetic scriptures and no, really no more Bible preaching. And the Christianized West began to fall away, in, especially in Western Europe, to where now most of their churches are empty. And the average age of people gathering on a Sunday morning service in England, for example, is about 80. <laughs> so, uh, but when we come to the United States, which is, the, which is supposedly the largest Judeo-Christian society in the planet, and it was for many years, it's not anymore. What we saw was a transition begin to take place. Rather than looking for the eminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, what began to happen was uh, we began to become more myopic, more a centralized, philosophical kind of community gospel where Jesus and the requirements of the cross and repentance and turning from our sin became less and, and less emphasized to now you go to most churches and you don't even hear Jesus mentioned, and let alone read I have a scripture read from your Bible. The church has fallen asleep. And that's what he said would, would happen. That they would go from that position of anticipation waking up, anticipation waking up, to eventually just being dead to it, numb to it. And they would fall asleep. But then something happened. September 11, 2001. The world shifted and was changed in a dramatic way that way. As the two towers were struck and they came down, to the ground and the Pentagon was struck. The whole world changed. 
and in a matter of a couple days or a couple months, we were we were we were sending troops into the Middle East, and and the whole world has changed since then. The rise of terrorism, the violence that we see, and all the other things that began to transpire. But couple that with the the destabilization of cultural norm and the rise of everything that is the antithesis of what the scripture says we're supposed to have as foundational truths within a society in order for that society to be blessed, especially across the West. Because that's what we're really talking about here because what he's identifying and what we were reading today was these are going to be the predominant, preeminent signs that you have crossed over into that. And that's why we go from a position of being absolutely asleep, he says, to suddenly something is going to happen. He called it midnight. And he said it's it's really a reflection of the darkness of the hour in verse 6. At midnight a cry was made. And, and, and literally what, what that means is that something piercing, something dramatic was going to happen on the planet that would take a sleeping church and, and shatter its illusion and wake it up. I think it's quite possible, brothers and sisters, that we have seen that happen. As we crossed into 2020, the entire planet has changed. We've been talking about it for weeks now, those of you who've been hanging out with us. You know, the 2020 began, uh, went from, you know, New Year's Eve parties around the world and, and fireworks to, my goodness, six weeks later, the whole world is under lockdown. And the United States finally made it official on March the 19th. And our whole paradigm, a word everybody likes to use, the whole thing shifted. And suddenly the world that we woke up into was no longer like it was for the last 2,000 years, basically. And in our lifetime, have we ever seen anything like this? And our nation, as I focus now on the United States, and the church within it, had absolutely no light, especially the leaders of the religious ruling class, the hyper-charismatic Pentecostal elite that drive the Christian media around the world. They paraded out their false prophets, and everybody's got this idea about what's coming, what's not coming. We're going to rebuke the coronavirus off the shores of America, and blah, 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 blah. None of that's come to pass. False prophets. And so the church has woken up, but has no light, has no understanding. But see, it's this cry that shatters, kind of like a glass ceiling that's, that's hit with a rock. I mean, it, it shattered all around us. And the norm, the cultural norm that we had had up to this point has completely shifted. Everything's changed. Then we hit Memorial Day. And everybody's like, okay, especially here in America, okay, we can go out and party now, let's go to the beach, let's go hang out at the pool, let's just, you know, forget social distancing, whatever. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue the you know, the all the theories about this virus and stuff. But we were only out of our houses for three days when we entered into the George Floyd situation. And a couple of days after the George Floyd situation, which was a horrible event. We now have in every major city of the United States uh, protesters protesting it, but coupled and intermingled with them were some very violent anarchist type groups. And we looked around and began to see our cities on fire. And it culminated just a, about a week and a half, two weeks ago when they came to the, to the oldest church there in Washington, D.C., St. John's Episcopal Church, and they set it on fire as if the collective 
was shaking their fist at God and saying, we will not have you to rule over us. Our entire society has gone absolutely crazy. And when you look around the world, the same thing is happening. We've got China and India fighting uh, on the borders. You've got <laughs> North Korea blowing up buildings uh, that were supposed to be places where they could meet and have a, have a nice talk. Uh, you've got the marchers in, in, in Western Europe, in London, and in France, in Italy. What they've got to do with George Floyd, I have no idea. But apparently last night there were some very, very horrible things that happened there. And I saw, you know, this so-called peaceful protest hurting the policemen there. And, you know, it's not like here in America. I mean, because when they put up the statistic, they said, okay, how many black men have been killed in, in England over the last year? And they said one. And he was a terrorist on the bridge stabbing people. Other than that, zero. But you see, do you see? Can you see? Are you awake? Because those of you who are spiritual or even now freshly come to these kinds of ideas and thoughts, you can sense that there's something uh, going on. It, it's, it's almost like the Matrix, man, if you've ever seen that movie. It's like the thing you can't see. It's like the splinter in your mind. There's something challenging you. There's something undefinable that's agitating the very depth of your heart, and you know things aren't the same. Well, that's what the Lord was warning about. And he said, into this madness would come a message, a cry. And it would be a message that would, that would flourish and, and, and come into being. And the message would be this. The bridegroom is coming. The Lord himself is on his way. And it's different than any other time before it. Because this message is going to cause a separation. A separation between the true and the false. Between the wise and the foolish between those who have oil to light their lamps and, and make sense of the darkness that has been gripping the world and those who have no idea and no clue. A cry is made. It's a forceful declaration that the coming of the Lord is drawing near. I know you don't hear that much anymore. But also think about this. The Lord seems to be implying that the modern church's preachers they don't have that message. It's why the congregations are asleep. It's why the people have no light. If, if they go to the Bible, they don't even know where to look. They haven't been taught. They haven't been uh, told about the Spirit of God. They haven't been told about prayer. They haven't been told about, about all the principles of the Word of God. And let alone now, when we really need light and understanding as to what is happening, the religious elite are stunningly silent. Your favorite preacher has nothing to say. Suddenly their messages are like cotton candy, empty, vain promises. How, how many more times do I have to give them a hundred bucks in the, in the hopes that I'm going to get a thousand back? I mean, this is insanity. Or my best life now? Seriously? There's 40 million people in this nation unemployed. And <laughs> how's that philosophy working out for you now? And I'm, I'm addressing those who preach that kind of stuff. But Jesus said, the way you're going to make a distinction in this time and this hour as to what is true and what is real is that the, the focus and the attention is going to draw you away from that which has always been and the compromised church to a real message that begins to bring clarity, insight, and revelation to the times that we're living in. And it will be marked by a forceful declaration that Jesus Christ indeed is coming. 
And so that's basically what our message is today. He says in verse 6, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And then he says this, very interestingly so, he says, Go ye out to meet him. Now this is where some of you are going to have a hard time and you probably won't even like what I'm about to say. But it's at this midnight hour, it's at this declaration that the, that the return of the Lord is imminent. Are you setting a date, Marty? No, I'm not. But I am saying that, and, and, and again, these Instagram meetings that we have, I can't really get dig, dig deep into the word here. I'm trying to give you principles in the hope that it will spur you and, and, and motivate you to go search the scriptures yourself. And you'll begin to see a picture emerge that undeniably uh, declares that we are, if we're not in the last of the last days, well, we've gotten to the door and our hands on the knob. I mean, we're there. Uh, and, 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 and there's something interesting he says here. He says, when that time arrives, he says, you're going to have to go out. If you want to know the Lord, you're going to have to go out. What does that mean? That means that the religious games that we've been playing, the whole structure, the whole megachurch movement, the whole theatrical Christian personality or the latest fair-haired tap-dancing, gel-hair-wearing, tattooed preacher that you see on TV... It has nothing to say. And that whole trip, man, that isn't God. And Jesus is saying it'll be a snare to you. And it's the events, the prophetic events that begin to unfold that are going to separate. And if you want to know him, you're going to have to leave that whole vibe and lay a hold to him, the real him. And that might mean that it's just you. You can find God under a tree, man. You don't need to go to no building. It's probably, I mean, it's almost impossible to find a great place of fellowship anymore. That doesn't mean they're not out there. But he's saying you're going to have to leave that whole system that puts you to sleep to begin with. But if you do, light will be given. Trust the voice in your heart because that's the Holy Spirit. And turn to him. Because the days are going to get worse. They're not going to get better. We're not going to go back to normal. These guys behind the scenes, everything that you see, the move towards globalism, the move towards the destabilization of the economy and the coming together of a one world economic system, a one world ecumenical religious system, a one world political system, all of this has been spoken of in the word of God as, as what is coming. And right now that is what we are seeing here in this country. Over the weekend, over the last couple of days, they gathered in multiple cities and they began to tear down statues and, and, and they culminated in Oregon, I believe it was, where they took down George Washington. And I don't want to argue with you about history and Black Lives Matter and all that kind of stuff, because if you've been following me, you know I've stood up for these children that really have no direction. They really don't. They're looking for a cause, man. And I'm not speaking politically here, but what I am saying is if you remove history and you attack the very substantive things that make us a nation, then you are leaving it into the hands of those that will tell you what to think. And they will write the history they want you to know. And ultimately, they, they're coming after this. And we've already seen it. They burned down a very symbolic church in, in the United States, or tried to at least, in Washington, D.C., just a few weeks ago. 
don't think we will be immune, but understand we're going to have to remove ourselves from what, what has brought us into this position of chaos and slumber. But if we do, we will hear His voice, the path will be illuminated, and ultimately the destiny that He has set before us is His kingdom, and it is coming. The question is, will you be ready? Will I be ready? Will we be ready? Jesus is coming and, and all you have to do is turn your heart to Him. Draw close to Him. Ask Him to cleanse you of your sins. Ask Him to come into your heart. Turn from the way we've been living. You know, whatever that may be. I don't have a list for you. I mean, it's individual. It's between you and God. But now's not the time to, uh, to compromise. With all that we see taking place and all that is yet to come, and you mark my words, you're going to see more things happening, including crazy natural disasters and things like that, which have always happened, but they're going to increase with intensity. And more than that, you're going to see further destabilization as these, this, these summer months and these summer weeks are coming. But as a child of God, as a person pursuing light and truth, let the Holy Spirit transcend you above this natural world and set your sights on things above because that's your ultimate destiny. That's my destiny. And that's what this word promises. You may not hear it in your churches, but Jesus told us, go out and he will meet you there. We love you. On that happy note, <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope at least it causes you to look and reflect as it has been me. Because right now is one of the most dangerous times I've ever seen. I'm almost 60 years old. I've never seen my nation, our nation, this world like this, ever. And the condition of the visible church is pathetic. Get in the words yourself. Let him open your eyes, and I know you know what we're talking about. He's coming soon. And, and, and the only safety that we will have is in him. I pray you have a blessed week. I pray you have a blessed day. We love you. God bless you. We're praying for you every day. And we hope to see you next time. Until then, keep looking up.